Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, CT. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. CT. Yeah. What's up? Here, just recording another session. Recording another story. It's amazing, man. Yep. So if anyone thinks that there aren't people out there who are recovering and doing amazing healing, they're all over the place. We're just going to keep finding them and keep bringing them to you. Oh, yeah. Um, dude, John and Amy brought it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, Amy is a, is a fighter. And she realized that going through this this recovery with her husband. Yeah, I love, um, it's awesome, I think, when the spouses come on because in some way, shape, or form, and Amy did such a good job talking about it, they cross this line where they get empowered. Yeah. You know? And, And she just did such a good job talking about the boundaries and how she kind of did it all for her as opposed to, I loved her title that she's like, I became a manager of him yep. and how that didn't work. You know, yeah, that was just so cool how she talked about that. That was amazing. Yeah. And, and John, I mean, just strength. The, I, no spoiler alerts here. You're going to have to listen to the story, but the amount of accountability Yep. and just, willing to 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 grit it and sit in the pain even though the shame is just swirling around him yeah i can't even imagine how much shame he was dealing with and then just to listen to him talk about having to share it all just mad respect oh yeah just mad respect. And as you know, that's been a struggle in my story is being honest. Yeah. And so just the mad respect I have for him. So, I mean, I hate it, but it's just like, let's just get in there, you know? Yeah. They were awesome. Yeah, they were. Okay, here's John and Amy. John and Amy, thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Um, so I, I will, uh, it was just like already been emotional in here and we haven't even started. So, um, you guys just bring it, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. We do. (laughs) (laughs) We'll own it. Done. So as you guys know, right, we just kind of let everyone share their own story, right? We honor everyone's story and their kind of own journey and we just want them to share it, bring the hope. And so, um, with that, I mean, just kind of start, tell us, John, we can start with you. Tell us Mm -hmm. kind of childhood how you were raised um kind of what all that was like and you know start us there start us off okay so i was raised in a family i was the oldest six kids uh five younger sisters um very religious family my parents um we had a pretty closed very rigid kind of um way of communication in the family. We, we didn't talk about stuff ever since early age growing up. We just weren't open about things with each other. Um, and very, very early on, there was a lot of shame in my family around sexuality, around um, 
anything sexual. And parents would respond poorly when that came up, and that just kind of set the stage for me to hold things in, yeah, not don't, talk to them. Don't talk about this. Family rule is, mm-hmm. unspoken family rule is, you don't talk about that. Yeah, and totally. for us, I mean, it, it was spoken. Like, they, they told us, like, this is not a topic of conversation, and, you know, and oh, wow. a few times it did come up, like, it got, there was a lot of anger, a lot of shouting, like, it, and as, like, a six-year-old kid having, you know, a parent just, like, totally lose it and this is when you were six yeah Ooh. and or er, er, that's probably the earliest one that i can remember i i know that there were other times but a couple times just like looking back when like something would come up and just instant zero to 60 anger and shouting and yelling and swearing and it's like okay i don't talk about this stuff and uh and so yeah that kind of set the stage for not really sharing anything with my parents growing up i i mean I'm sure from an outside perspective, we had a really functional family. Um, sure. my, my parents got divorced a couple of years ago, and when that happened, a lot of people, I mean, it, it caught a lot of people off guard. Nobody really, ex- all of us kids expected it, but, um, you know, so on the outside, we were a very religious, happy family, just normal family here for the area. But, um, yeah, as far as like actually being close and talking to each other about what we were dealing with in life, that wasn't ever a part of our family dynamic. Yeah. So, John, um, tell us a little bit about your relationship with your dad. So, I don't know, that, that one took me some time to work through. Um, and I've found, I don't know, especially as I've learned more about my wounds and I've talked to other guys about theirs, just realizing that it's a lot harder to find the wounds that aren't as obvious like, I don't consider myself physically abused by my dad. Like, I didn't have really any super obvious stuff yeah. going on that as a kid, I'd be able yeah. to say, like, this is wrong. But my relationship with my dad, um, I know that he had a lot of his own wounds and definitely hadn't figured out how to work through those. Um, didn't talk to my mom about him. That was part of what took them apart. And he just didn't know how to reach out or connect or work through any of that with anybody else. And what that ended up doing, especially with me as the only boy, is he took kind of his questions and his searching for validation to me a lot as a kid. And so there was a lot of um, expectation there for performance, um, for being everything that, you know, I think my dad... Has always had a you will make negative. the high school basketball team and be a star because I never made the team. E- exactly, e- Eagle Scout because I didn't make it, and like, and he had a pretty negative. Still, kind of has a pretty negative view of himself in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think he given up on himself and was trying to like find validation in life through what I would be doing. Yeah, and. And so I had that part of the dynamic. And then also with everything that he was struggling with, he was just really distant. He was checked out a lot. Um, Family stuff, he just wasn't there. He wasn't engaged. And and also just realizing that, you know, addiction, I mean, I've got family history of addiction. It runs down through the family. My dad struggled with various addictions. And often, often does. Yeah. Yeah. And growing up as part of that, you know, we talked about like arrested development, that idea of like I stopped growing emotionally when this 
came into my life. Oh, and that well had definitely happened with my dad. And there were a lot of times that growing up, especially because I would interact with my dad a lot in my social groups, because my dad was my scoutmaster growing up. Oh, uh-huh. And so, and most of my friends were there in my troop. Yeah. And so my dad was a part of a lot of my friend relationships. And I always felt a lot of just kind of shame and embarrassment because of some of his just some of his behavior. Yeah, some of his yeah. social awkwardness. Just he didn't yeah. know how to talk about a lot of things. And at times I couldn't identify this then, but now I realize I felt like I was talking to another 12-year-old when I was talking with my dad and then realizing that, you know, sure Amy can relate to me acting like a 12-year-old <laughs> multiple times, you know, just She just smiles real yeah. nice, squeezes yeah. your hand. Bless yeah. your heart, Amy. Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, and just realizing that that's been part of my addiction is like I stopped learning how to interact with. Well, that, I mean, like, that's trauma, right? Trauma yeah. is we freeze, right? We have some situation we can't handle and, and the growth stops there, right? That's why we want to go back and heal it. So totally. So how, so growing up, what was your relationship with God? Because the church, the family, it was all real rigid, right, for you. So, so was that how God was for you? You kind of saw him yeah. that same way or... What was your relationship with God like growing up years? I mean, God, my understanding of God came from how I viewed my dad, right? That yeah. was it 100%. And, um, being and that's kind of how it goes. I mean, that, yeah. you're not unique in this, I guess. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. That's uh, can relate. You know, just because he, he was the authority figure, right? That's who I look to as I think about God is somebody who has authority, um, who's kind of above and over me. It's like, that was my dad. That's the only thing I could relate it to. And so the things that I felt and believed about God was, you know, God was happy with me when I showed up and met his expectations. And, um, but then if I, and if I did anything wrong, he'd lose it, right? He'd freak out. Um, and most of the time, I just kind of felt like he was distant. Like I just was kind of on my own. I just got to do my own thing. And he was off doing other stuff that was more important than I was. I so. can totally relate to that one. Tell me, so tell me addiction as a kid, how kind of mm-hmm. how that happened, your high school years, mm-hmm. what, like, how did you first find it? How did you interact with it all the time? So, um, Another part of my story growing up is I was homeschooled so oh, okay. until ninth grade. And so socially that did a lot. Um, and Meaning negatively. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That added to me not knowing how to interact with people. Yeah. And, is, and it contributed just the general sense of isolation. I just felt like I was totally by myself. And yeah. so with that, I had a lot of time just kind of on my own. And like I said, I don't know, some of my earliest memories, I feel like kind of sexual nature. I, I don't know. There's just been like as a kid, I had questions about my body and stuff like that. And any time that tried to Super come up normal. with my parents, yeah, it was bad. Right. Yeah. And then I so um, for me, and it's funny because this shows just how much the shame played into it because it shouldn't have been a big deal. But I remember one time I was just up in my parents' room by myself, just working on school. And I found my mom's birthing books, right? I started flipping through those and found some pictures of nude women, right? Giving birth. It's it's their labor and delivery books. 
And I and I, I can still pick like where I was sitting, like my physical reaction to that. I mean, and there's a bunch of people jumping up and down right now. They're like, "That's not even porn." Yeah, that's a it, normal it, exactly, kid having right? a normal growing up, learning about sexuality experience. Yep. Yeah. But to me, the immediate reaction right there was just an incredible amount of shame. Um, and that was, I mean, I just saw it. I shut it. I'm like, I am the worst human being for yeah. having looked at that, right? Uh, and man, so much power in just that share right there, right? Of just how shame is the real demon, right? Yeah. In all of this. Be- because like you said, th- there isn't anything wrong with what I saw. Right? Oh, the, no. The, I, I Not, mean, nothing at all. Yeah. Nor did you do anything wrong. No. Yeah. But I felt that I had, and I knew that it wasn't something that I could tell my parents about. Yeah. Because, you know, if I tried to take it to them... I don't know. My mom probably, uh, I don't know. My mom typically responded better. I mean, my, my dad was the one who would lose his temper, right? Yeah. But that was, there's just a lot of fear. I was like, so, hey, I can't talk to him about it. So if you fast forward that, you're young enough, from, so not mm-hmm. everyone is sitting here looking at you. You're young enough. You, mm-hmm. like me, are a right, child of the internet. I'm sure internet mm-hmm. came online when you were a kid. And mm-hmm. so that factored in, I'm going to assume. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was just stuff like uh, like birthing books. I mean, once again, not porn, but like art books, like classical Roman art, nude statues, because there was shame around it, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, to me now it's, it's, it's a statue. But like yeah. as a kid, that wasn't something that was allowed in the family. And so, and then it, I'm, I don't remember exactly when, but I know it's probably it was 12 or 13. We'd had internet for a little while. I never really knew how to use it, but then that became... Part of it, I figured that out, started finding actual porn. Um, and that continued through high school. I got caught once by my mom um, yeah. when I was 14. And what happened, I, I don't think she shared with my dad because, uh, yeah, he just didn't, wouldn't respond well. And there was a lot of fear around that. Um, and so I went and talked to my church leader about it. He told me, okay, don't do it for another two weeks and come back come back and talk to me. Um, I didn't make it the two weeks, but I told him I had. And he just, okay, we're good. And we never talked about it again. And There's just so many men listening right now. They're like, <laughs> yep, yeah. yep, brother. Yeah, yep, yeah. totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. And, and especially back then, like no, nobody knew how to handle this, right? Like yeah. there, there wasn't anything out there for people. And I know it's a lot different. Now I've I've had positive experiences with church leaders in recent years, you know. But yeah. all growing up, every I mean, and I interacted with him. I feel like there might have been one other bishop. I don't remember. But then, um, yeah, just other church leaders have gotten some honestly pretty bad advice. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, but so my addiction continues: pornography, masturbation throughout high school. Um, along with the secrecy and the shame, that became a huge part of it for me is like, it was all secret and it was about finding things that I shouldn't. And that, um, for me, especially through high school, that's where, um, one of my other forms of acting out was also voyeurism. So that's where that came in as well is just secrecy hidden, just kind of that, hit or that high from, you know, going out and looking for something that I knew 
I shouldn't. Yeah. So. Well, and it makes sense with the your struggle with some of the social stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. for me, I got validation because I was social. Mm-hmm. So I chased it in acting out with a bunch of girls in high school. So same thing, different end of the spectrum, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Totally can I, relate to that, yeah. Yeah, I was... I was pretty socially awkward. I mean, in high school, I honestly feel like I did pretty well. I was able to get a decent group of friends, but there was still always kind of that element because especially it started early on, just I just had struggle. that, yeah, that double yeah. life, right? Of, yeah, okay, I have to go and do this. Just kind of on that part of my life was always just kind of secret by myself, isolated. Yeah. So, and yeah, so that um, continued. I... Went to, I served a, a mission, my church okay. in LDS Where'd you mission, go? Brazil. All right. So. Guarana, up, Portuguese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Follow Portuguese. Um, so I went, yeah, I, w- I went and shared with my church leader. Um, well, so let's pause happened. there. Let's get the other side of this story. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. My side. All right. It started in my my experience growing up. Yeah, just tell us kind of growing up years, like just tell, you know, yeah, get, put, put you in Who context for us. I? Okay. <laughs> so growing up, honestly, I had a great home. My family, we were, we when John and I talked about our emotional family dynamics, we say his family was emotionally constipated. Um, <laughs> it's the term that we use. And and my family, we talked hey, about Hey, I tell stuff. my kids no potty jokes, so if you could clean it up, Amy. Okay, okay. I thought there was no shame here. <laughs> no, no I, was just, I was just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, growing up, I could talk to my parents about anything. Um, I had a great relationship with both my mom and my dad. I remember being able, many late nights, just talking to them in my room about life, about stuff. I they I knew that I could always go to them with yeah. anything. Um, and they were really good to provide that space for me. Um, we recently did... We've been working through the Lifestyle program, and we did some work on just looking at our different selves, like our inner child, our our adolescent, healthy adult, uh-huh. different things. And it was surprising to me because I've always had this mentality that, like, as I've done a lot of work in recovery, I've gone back and I've looked and realized that at some point in my life, and it was around preteen years, I took on this idea that I couldn't be myself that I had to be, I'm the oldest in my family and also the oldest cousin on both sides of my family come from big families. There's one older cousin on my mom's side, but I was always put up as the example. Yeah. Um, I had to be everything for everybody else. I was very active in church, active in my young women's groups, active in school. Like I was always doing and achieving and performing. You were checking the boxes. Yeah, yeah. I was checking the boxes and I was really... Um, you know, trying to do everything all the time. And it's funny because I read some of my old journals recently from college and it was like, I don't know why I'm so stressed and I'm trying to do everything and like I've got all these things to do and I'm tired and I just need to go to bed, but I can't go to bed because I've got to do this and this and this. Like if I stopped, if I stopped, I had this belief that if I stopped achieving and I stopped doing, then I would lose myself and I would lose my worth. And I think that, you know, a lot of that, as I look at my parents, like they did a really good job of loving me. Um, there were some hard things in just the expectations that were in our home of grades, of performance. I did piano, um, always practicing. 
and just a lot of things where, you know, I felt like I had to do to get attention and I had to be a certain way to get attention. Um, but recognizing, you know, now that like that part's been healed, but there even still is some of that doer mentality. I've got to do, do, do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just talking mm-hmm. about this. And that's kind of, that played into my relationship with God. Um, and I think that, I mean, really, I look back and I have very clear memories of spiritual experiences with my Heavenly Father. I've always been close to Him. Um, and I think what's come through recovery um, has been a new understanding of who He is as my Father, as a Father figure, not just as this computer in the sky, which is kind of how I viewed God. was like, I plug help in. Help me, help a- me. Oh, okay, you were <laughs> yeah, going yeah, there. I'm, I'm I was going like, there. wait, you're going to have to explain that. <laughs> yeah, the, like, yep. or, or I guess more of like a vending machine. But like I, plus in, I plug in A plus B plus C obedience, and then I get these blessings. Like it was an equation. It wasn't a relationship is how I related with God in a lot of ways. So you would say it's more of a conditional where, hey, I love you as long as you do these things because that's who I am. Um, I think I had an understanding that God loved me in my head, unconditionally in my head. But I think the journey that I've been on is um, believing that in my heart, really internalizing that God loves me as I am imperfect everything and also that like he wants me and wants a relationship with me that it's not just he wants me to do xyz so that he can give me blessings it's like he just wants to bless me he just wants to love me and that the things that he asks me to do um because i believe that god does ask things of us but they're invitations they're they're never you have to do this or else i've come to learn that's not how god parents me as his daughter it's here's something that I know will help you on your journey in life. And I'd love to invite you into it if that's where you want to go. That, you know, because there's been times where I've checked the box, I've read my scriptures, I've prayed, and I haven't felt close to God. And it's, I was just doing it to do it. And my motivation was wrong. But then there's other times where I have read the scriptures or prayed and really been seeking my father. And I find him. And I think that for me has been the biggest shift. Like I can still do things. I can still do things. um, But I'm doing them because I want to. And I want that deeper relationship with my father in heaven rather than doing it to make somebody proud of me or to make somebody feel a certain way or anything like that. It's just I'm doing it because I want to and I want to build that relationship. And we're done. That's, that's it, right? I mean, that's it right there. No, that's incredible. We want to get more into that, but let's let's keep let's let's pull the story forward with yeah. that. Um, so, tell me, how did you meet and get married, and then kind of expectations going into marriage, and then you know, did you disclose anything before marriage, and then kind of as your marriage first started, what that all looked like? So, how'd you meet? Pretty, pretty typical story there as well. BYU singles ward. I just got back from my mission. Um, yeah, we met, started dating, got engaged really fast. Yeah. Um, and as part of that, so when I so got back... So why really fast, I guess, is the question I um, ask here. Totally God-directed. Yeah. 100%. We just felt like we got to that point where both of us were like, you know, we know this is what we need to do, so why wait, right? Yeah. And, and it's interesting just how 
we see time and time again that that's, I mean, it is what God. Well, so the, I always bring up the naysayers so you guys can challenge it, mm-hmm. right? So the yes. naysayers are going to say that you were young and naive. We were. There was a lot we didn't know. Oh, yeah. We like, and this is something that we have come to understand is that like we were following God, but we had no idea what he was actually intending for us. Yeah. We thought one thing and it was the complete opposite. And when we came together, we felt that we were come like, honestly, a lot of the reasons that I was using my head were, okay, it's like, okay, we both have a testimony. We're both active, worthy, righteous. We have similar desires and, you know, just check all the, <laughs> check all the boxes right there. And so work out. And since then, all of that has disappeared. I mean, we've been, I, yeah. We've been, we've been changed through yeah. this experience. We're both very different people yeah. than we were when we got married. Yep. I tell myself on a regular basis that if I, my missionary self could see myself now, he'd be like, what the, well, what the heck happened, right? <laughs> he would have said but it's like, and you know, and, and so that's been part of our journey is realizing that God knew how we were going to grow and that even like throughout that growth, like we were growing to people that needed each other still. Right? So how um, did the the addiction come up? How, how did the disclosure come up for so, you guys? I'll back up just a bit because before I married Amy, it was actually my first exposure to 12-step. So I got... I got back from my mission, went straight back into the addiction, pornography, masturbation. You and, mean everyone else, by yeah, the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, so I was roommates with a friend of mine, and um, he shared with me about 12-step, about his addiction. And um, so I went with him to a meeting. That was back in February of 2012. Um and when I went to the meeting, and I've heard you guys say this on the podcast, and I know that pretty much all of us say it, I d- decided not to go back because I knew that marriage would fix it. So, um, I don't even need to say it. You no. said it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So I, but that had been my first exposure to an SA meeting, right? And so I had that resource there. Um, as we went to go to get married, I talked to my bishop about it. And he asked me, well, are you going to do it again? And of course I said no. And he said, well, if you're not going to do it again, then you don't need to tell her about it. And I didn't. So I didn't disclose anything before. That um, guy's doing the best that he could. Yep. We get it. Yep. Terrible advice. Yes. If you are th- getting married or in a serious relationship, disclose now. Do not pull a Steve Shields where you wait mm-hmm. until two and a half years later and drop a, oh, by the way, like (laughs) don't do it it's a bad idea yeah yep yes and so for us it was a year and a half later um we at the time we were both students going to school we had our first kid at that point um and i had shared a couple months before my actual first disclosure with amy um because she could tell that something was off um, I was just, there was a lot of pressure, and I started talking about depression. It's like, hey, I think I'm dealing with this, and we started talking about it, and but that really wasn't the issue. And then it was February of 15. It's no, kind of, it's 14. No, or 14, sorry, 14. February 14, yeah. It was uh, 
bit of a rock bottom for me to the point where I just got so depressed trying to live this double life where I was acting out, looking yeah. at porn and masturbating at, um, you know, telling Amy that I was working on homework and just, no, I was acting so, out. So, like, rock bottom, this is happening once a month, once a week, daily. Like a couple times a week. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and at this point, it got to the point that I just couldn't even, I was so depressed because of my acting out that I, I think it got to a point that I didn't leave the house for like two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. He'd closed off before. There'd been times in our marriage up till that point where he'd closed off and I didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of coming from the background of doing, it's like, okay, well, I'll just make the house cleaner or I'll make him breakfast in bed or like, I'll I'll fix it. But I didn't know what it was I was fixing, (laughs) but I just knew he wasn't doing well. I'm like, okay, then it's my job. Like as a good wife, this is what I do. I take care of him. Um, And, you know, and then it got to the point of like this time where he he didn't get out of bed. And I was like, what, what is going on? Like, this is, this is serious. Cause you know, and at that point, we'd kind of labeled it as depression. But it's like, what What do I do? My husband's not eating. Like, he's not getting out of bed. What am I supposed to do? And um, I remember just going down and talking to him. Uh, and it just got to the point. It was like, and he, I remember him saying, like, I have something to tell you. I'm like, okay. Hard. Tell me. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> and I remember our, our, our son was napping. Um, and I was just like, Hey, like, tell me, what do you need to say? And, um, he's just like, I can't, I can't tell you what, like, what, (laughs) what can you not tell me? So if he didn't tell you, how did it, how did you find out? Well, he did end up telling me. So, so he kept telling me just like, I can't, I can't tell you. And I said, well, what? He's like, it's too much. I'm like, what's too much? And so he's, he's sitting on the bed crying, trying to tell me. And what we all know now is, is the shame's just crushing you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I hadn't been able to get myself out of bed for two days. Like, obviously, I mean, I was, yeah, I was totally... So, I want to understand this moment clearly. This is you being felt as we would describe godly sorrow, or this is you just being buried in shame? I'd say buried in shame. I I, I mean... Just because I I think people mistake the two. That's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know if at that point I... Like, looking back at where I was, I don't know if I could say I knew what godly sorrow was because, like, my life had just been so ridden by shame my whole life that, like, I think I thought it was God. Like, I felt bad for what I had done, but really it it, it was shame, right? And that's what I was just buried with. Totally. No, and I think that completely makes sense. And the one other thing I want to go back to, Amy, with you is um, I say this all the time, and, and I think that probably sometimes women are like, this guy's a joke, but the women always know. Oh, totally. And mm-hmm. so, but I guess like you kind of did a good job of describing it. Like you knew something was off or something wasn't right, but it wasn't that you knew. Cause I think sometimes right. women are like, no, I didn't know he had a porn addiction. Like, and, and I guess what I would say to some of those women is I would say, but like, if something's off, if something's off, that's kind of your clue, you know, like if he feels distant or whatever, yeah. you know, fill in the blank. Like if something isn't making sense to your just gut feel check. So, cause I mean, you're like, everything was great. And yeah. then you just showed up with this depression and I'm like, I don't know, fix it. So like, yeah. did you feel like you, you knew something was going on you recognized that later? Like what, honestly, what was that experience like for you? Pornography was the farthest thing from my mind. 
Well, he's such a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. When oh, he, yeah. when we were ha- going back <laughs> to that conversation. Uh, yeah. Very good fig leaf. So. Going back into Hashtag that. Hashtag wild at heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> going back into that conversation in our room. I, you know, he wasn't telling me, but I just felt the spirit tell me, wait. And then I'm like waiting. And then I, he- I feel the spirit tell me he's going to tell me he has a pornography problem. I'm like what? No. He's not. He doesn't have a pornography problem. What are You're you arguing about? With I'm the arguing with the spirit, and I said no. Dear God's Holy Spirit, <laughs> think you're wrong on this one, but good call. He's like no, no. He's gonna tell you he struggles with pornography. Yeah. That was the farthest thing from my mind, and then I f- was like, okay, well, do I ask him? Like, do I say, are you? Do you struggle with pornography? And the spirit said no. He has to tell you. And so I sat there waiting for him to tell me what I already had been told. Um, but I was grateful for that um, because I think, I don't know if I would have believed him if he had just told me outright. Um, I think it was a tender mercy from God to my heart that I needed to hear it from him first. I needed to hear it from God so, first. So when he did uh, finally disclose to you. He, to- he told me. Uh, yeah. And, uh, how did you feel uh, were you were you angry? Were you angry at uh, John? Were you angry at God? Because we already know what his experience was. He was numbed out and a lot of shame. Yep. I think some of that piled on over to me. I think I. For I mean, sure. it, it was. I mean, I didn't. I was shocked, but I also was. I also had a sense of peace that it would be okay. Um, I remember as I've kind of had the opportunity to think back to what now almost almost six years ago um, when we had that conversation. Um, I remember, you know, just the days after kind of walking around in a haze, like what, what happened to my life? (laughs) Like there's this thing that's been a part of my marriage that I didn't even know about and just kind of numb, like just going through the motions, not really feeling anything. We were totally disconnected and now I knew why, but it didn't make it any easier. <laughs> and, you know, he, he told me, you know, he's like, I have a group I can go to. I'm going to get help. And there's groups for you if you want to go. Um, and So what was your first reaction to when he said, hey, there's, there's a support group for you? Because most women's reaction are, F you, you're the one with the problem. Get out of my grill. Insert curse word derogatory term here and you know what i mean which right. which i'm like and they should feel that way <laughs> um i i was open to it i went i um he told me that he'd heard some because he was he was talking about essay meetings at the time and that there were snon meetings for women to go right, to right and he had told me that somebody he knew there as a girlfriend had had a negative experience going to one of the snon meetings that uh-huh. it was too much and was traumatizing and so he gave me that as a heads up and he's like but i'm pretty sure the church has a program so i looked it up i called the missionary the church being the church of jesus yes. christ of latter-day Saints. yes okay yes thanks for clarifying that um so that was my first experience was i went to the addiction recovery program for family and support people yeah so again just because i think people who will attempt to dismiss your story will say it's because you're naive and so my question is like why did you really go i went because um like you just felt like it was the right thing to do like 
Because, I mean, the way you've described right. your story, like, at that time, you didn't know everything about God and, like, everything you've picked up on this six-year journey. Right mm-hmm. at that time, it was right. like, hey, honey, by the way, things are off because here's a bunch of shame. And by the way, you could get help, too. Like, so, because if right. you want me to no. be honest, no, I think I, it's amazing it. that you went. Right. Like, because I think it takes a lot of women and if women want to be angry with me in this comment, it's fine. And CT, I think it takes a lot of women some time to realize, like, that they have been hurt by this, and that's why they need help. They don't yeah. need help because they don't need to fix him. They don't need help because it's their job. Right. They need help because I mean, the analogy I use is he's sick, but he vomited all over you. Right. So yeah, he needs to go get healed. But like, you got vomit all over you. Right. So if you don't get that worked out, it stinks. And I think another thing is is that a lot of women feel like angry because there are so many guys that have this problem and so they're they don't want to see other women who have been hurt by mm-hmm. this and so they don't want right. to they don't want to associate with other people who are in the same boat but yet there is some healing that takes place when they do go and get that help. Well, and I guess that's why I'm kind of bringing it up and asking yeah. the question cuz it's so hard for most women to get there and like you went right out the gate. So it's like, how'd that happen? Um, I think part of it was that God God was my constant. And for me, a lot of things in the LDS church were a big part of my life and where I found a lot of great things and connection. And so I think turning towards that, knowing, knowing that there was something addiction-related in my faith, my religion, that could help me, um, that that's where I turned. And I, I wasn't in a place of... I'm I'm getting help for me because I need my own help. I think I was I don't even know if I was in a place of I'm trying to get help to fix him. I think it was just more like I need something. Like I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. And he's just vomited on me <laughs> as you put it. And you know, and just the just the fact that like he mentioned there is something for you. There's help for you. And I was just like, okay, like if there's help for me, I'm I'm gonna take some help because I can't deal with this alone. Um, and so, I think that's honestly where it was. Was just like I needed something, and I really honestly was naive for me. And you know, maybe John will share oh. later. <laughs> but I thought pornography was pictures of naked women, and that was it. Yeah, that's what I and thought so, pornography was. And, and this is where I was going to talk a little bit more about my disclosure and how yeah. to not do it right yeah is how i did it so because we what, have many what, stories of how to not do disclosure because yes. <laughs> <laughs> my because i i said okay i i struggle with pornography right and that was it i just let her fill in all of the blanks and i mean at that point we didn't have therapy we didn't have group we didn't have anybody i i mean i i had no idea what i was doing and it was a couple months later that i think i mentioned that hey i you know I've been clean from videos. I haven't watched any videos in a while. And that was like a second disclosure what? to her. Just like, Are you yeah. serious? There's, yeah. I remember like taking me back in the bedroom floor, just crumpled into a ball and started crying. Like, are you serious? There's videos? Like you've been watching videos. Like I just had no idea that that was even a thing. Yeah, part of her upbringing <laughs> versus mine, right? Very different. And I had just assumed Right, that she would know what I was talking about, and then it was several months later that she a- that she asked me about masturbation because I hadn't talked about that yet either, and so it just kind of came out piecemeal for me, right? And 
which so definitely did, is not the way to do it. How did you take that uh, when he did disclose the masturbation? Um, that was another hard one. That was one that I had heard the term in groups, and I was like, what? And I remembered having one church, one lesson in church about it. And well, so it was like, you don't want to bring it up to yeah, everyone. Like, I, I'm tw- yeah. I don't know how old you were at the time, but like, I'm 20-whatever, and I don't know what this really is. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I remember asking in a young woman's lesson once, about that word because I was like what is that and then the the leader explained you know sexually arousing your own body and I was like okay so like I knew what it meant but then you know going into it into asking him like I'd heard the term in different groups and talking about it and it was like you need to ask him about this like, no I don't want to ask him about this I don't I'm afraid of the answer that it's yeah. gonna be yes and it was a yes and that was hard that was hard um, so where was the rock bottom for the two of you and then let's talk about, right, I mean, the the growth in your journey and all that. But tell us, like, where, where did the rock bottom happen with you guys? They're looking at each other like, <laughs> we, we both know what the story is. Just who's so, going to tell it? 2016? Yeah, I yeah. would say leading up to that, leading yeah. up to October or September. Yeah, okay. So Just a little back- background. Yeah. So we started going to group regularly. Um, after about a year of going to the LDS groups, Amy started going to the SNON. Yeah. Um, and we started seeing a therapist together. Um, so just kind of progressing in our recovery, um, using more and more tools, getting deeper into the actual work. And then in um, summer of 2016, I graduated from BYU, and we decided to take our family. We, we didn't have any plans, no commitments, and I had a job opening lineup at a summer camp. And we are like, hey, let's go do this. So we went and lived with our family in a cabin for, you know, me and Amy and the two boys. And, um, and through that summer, I don't know, that things have been... A little rough for us since we'd really, I mean, we'd really start, it was the August before that, that we'd started therapy and like a lot more was coming up. And this was some like the hard work that we had to slog through. Yeah. And it got to the Trauma stuff, relationship stuff, plus all the recovery stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. God stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I got up to the summer camp, I, you know, thought I'd found another silver bullet. I love being out in the outdoors. We're living in the mountains. Like things are great, but my schedule didn't allow... I, I, I did not make room for recovery in my schedule while I was working up there. Mm-hmm. And I basically just ditched recovery that summer and ended up acting out quite a bit. Um, we got into a really rough spot in our connection. And like overall, it was a fantastic experience. We, I mean, we have a lot of fond memories about our family summer up there. But on an individual and like the level of our relationship, it was really rough summer. And I totally checked out of recovery, stopped going to meetings, stopped going to therapy um, for the first time since, you know, I disclosed in 2014. Um, So we came out of that and it was a big time of just a lot of transitions for us, having to find a place to rent. Um, I was having to make some career choices um, we were really kind of off on our own. Both of us were done with school. We had two kids. And uh, at this point, I was basically just back in the addiction. I, I wasn't in a recovery. Um, 
And so that actually led to um, me getting worse in my acting out, just pornography and masturbation. So did you did you disclose any of this to Amy? Like any of like the me being checked out? Down. Yeah. So I, I'd still been accountable. So that's honestly something that I feel like we've stuck with mm-hmm. since the beginning. As I've been, like, I, 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 I set a boundary at one point that I need. I wanted to know if he had acted out within 24 hours yeah. of him acting and out. Honestly, and honestly, I've that. always stuck with that. And so, and and that was, and that was part of it because I was. Dude, that's to be honest, like, that's awesome. Honesty's been one of the biggest struggles for me. To be, yeah. honest, I just let the shame get me. Yeah, so, me too. I just respect you on that one. But Most definitely. It's, so, but so keep going. So you're yeah. you come out of the summer. You've kind of dished recovery. Life's transitioning. Your acting out's escalating. Yeah, and then it escalated back to um, voyeurism, which okay. so that um, you know occurred as a kid, and um, went back to that, and then that actually started. Um, so I was open about that. Was shared. Meaning disclosed with Amy. Disclosed that it happened. with Amy. Well, and backing up a little bit, because when we came home, we got or we got a place to rent. We were living there. And he was, I mean, it was getting to the point I was getting super frustrated. Uh, like, come on, like, connect, like, get back here. Like, where are you? And what are you doing? Why aren't you? You know, I was getting really frustrated with why he wasn't working recovery. And I got to a point, and this is something that I feel like is crucial in my recovery and for other women in recovery, is finding your voice and setting boundaries that are about what you can do. I got, I had done some work on boundaries, but um, this time I really sat down and said, okay, what do I do? What are my boundaries for me and how I show up? What are my boundaries for my relationship with my husband? And when he does certain things or um, disconnects, what am I going to do? Not what am I going to make him do? It's what am I going to do? If I feel him disconnecting, I'm going to say something instead of walk around eggshells because that's what I would do in the past. I would walk around eggshells, try to make everything better. You know, if he acts out, I don't feel comfortable with him being in our home if he acts out in our home and I'm and I'm going to ask him to leave. And then there was the follow up. And if he doesn't leave, then I will leave. So I never, it was for me when I got to that point in setting those boundaries, it was always the ball was in my court. I love that. I love it because often I think boundaries, you look at boundaries, this, this is what I'm going to get the other person to do. And although it obviously did affect you, right? She's going to mm-hmm. ask you to leave the house or yeah, whatever. I slept in the, the fact car many that, times. The fact that you're making the boundaries about what you need, what you can handle, what you can do. Like, yeah. that it's about your world, right? Your yeah. internal compass. That's like such a good guide. Yeah. That's and awesome. That, and, then, and then I had boundaries around his recovery. And, that, and I remember there was one night he had, I think you'd acted out at home. And I'd asked him to leave and he left for a couple days because we were just really in a hard spot. And when he and and during that time that he was gone, I connected with my sponsor from my 12 step group. I connected with my therapist and I set some boundaries. I'm like, I want to make sure I'm coming from a healthy place in these boundaries. And then I asked him to come home and I said, I'm going to share some boundaries with you and we have this conversation. And then I just kind of left it open. (laughs) Like, I don't know, you know, but this is, you're going to come home and we're going to have this conversation. And so I sat down, I had them written out and I just read them to him. He didn't say anything and he got up and left. And, (laughs) and I was honestly so happy. 
I, it shocked me that I was happy that my husband had just left and I didn't know where he was or where he was going or what he was going to do. But I had just been the truest to myself that I had ever been and the most centered in God that I had ever been. I like I had said, this is where I'm standing. If you want to stand here with me, great. So, John, um, did you also set some boundaries with Amy and for yourself? At that point, no, not really. I mean, I... Why'd you leave? I mean, sorry, everyone's <laughs> sitting in the audience who's not sitting here is like, uh-huh. why'd he leave? <laughs> well, I I was not in... And it's funny, because I, I, I haven't thought about this in a while. I'd honestly forgotten about this part of the story. And... Um, For me, I was just still in so much shame, right? And from where I was coming from, I couldn't see the positive benefits of boundaries. And with how I was interpreting things at that point through my just that huge layer of shame was just that it was all, it was an attack against me, right? And, And one of my... You know, especially growing up the way that I did, I'm very non-confrontational, and my go-to is running away, right? And I lit- that's literally what I did. If you have right? a choice between flight, fight, and freeze, you're taking the flight. Yeah. Yeah. At least back then. Yeah. Yes. Now, <laughs> now we fight a little more, and it's fun. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. tell us, so that you're hitting this well, low, that's happened, the voyeurism's come up again. Yeah. I, I do want to add, like, one thing, though, because I think part of my response in leaving is because, as Amy said, this was the first time that she had shown up so strongly in that way. And it was different for me because, and this is something she didn't talk about as much, but early in the recovery, especially with her background... Um, kind of how she was raised and then fixing the perfectionism, like she was doing everything she could to make life less stressful for me. So I wouldn't get, you know, I wouldn't yeah. experience pain or discomfort in life. And you were performing just like you'd learned as a kid. Yeah. She well, my, my mentality, like some women I've heard go into the detective mode of like right. trying to catch. I just went into manage mode. Yeah. Like I'm going to manage his homework. I'm going to check up him all the time. And if he's not stressed, then he won't act out. That's completely yeah. what I believed. Right. And then really in kind of that rock bottom of ours, that's when, you know, she made that decision to know, like, this is how I'm going to show up authentically for myself. Uh, and, awesome, by the way. Yeah. I'm not sure that I said that. Freaking amazing. Yeah. And, you know, so that was kind of that. Yeah. That that was a big first step of that whole kind of rock bottom that we went through that summer I'd forgotten about. Because, I mean, after that... And I don't remember exactly how the timeline, but it was right around that time uh, when I had the two incidents of voyeurism. And I shared that with my therapist. He shared that with his supervisor, and um, they decided it needed to be reported. So they gave me the option to do that. I went and self-reported. A whole bunch of stuff came up, and that started just a a big, long, it it was a three-year-long legal process. Um, from kind of the beginning of that until sentencing. And so what happened there um, is, you know, after I shared with my therapist, he's like, okay, you need to go home and tell Amy about this. And And there were a lot of things about my acting out growing up that I had never shared with her, and I swore I was going to take to the grave. Yeah. 
And he's like, nope, it all needs to come out tonight. And so, and for me, I was without options at that point. I mean, that was, that was a rock bottom for me. And driving home, just completely hopeless. I mean, this is going to end it. Um, and I just remember as I was pulling up to the stop sign right before our house, I think that was one of the first times I'd really gotten to the place where I was able to completely let go of the outcome. And wow. I was able to just say, okay, God, you know, I'm going home to do this. Share with Amy. And if it ends it, it ends it. And if all I'm left with is you, then I've got you and I'll be okay. And that was... You know, Which is so key, because if you don't accept that, the shame will keep you from being 100% yeah. honest. And I'm still doing it for her, right? Yeah. Like, I'm doing it for her or the kids or fat. Like, I'm not doing... But that was really the point at which I'm like, okay, I'm in this for myself and with God, and if that's all I'm left with, like, I'll still be okay. Yeah. And I went in, just kind of prepared for the worst, shared with Amy. Um, that was honestly... a. I mean, obviously very hard, but incredibly powerful experience that night of just, you know, we, I mean, really that, that was the closest that we'd gotten to like a full disclose. I mean, the worst of what I could share, like I shared that night and I was in a place for the first time in my life where I would have, and I did answer anything that she asked. And that was a key part of just that change i feel like god worked in my heart over those couple months because as i got into that legal process and talking with detectives and like going through all of that i got to the point where it's like i didn't for the first time in my life i did not have anything left to hide and i remember after a really just kind of brutal four long four hour long basically interrogation basically i called a guy from group and he just told me, he's like, John, Dude, for the first and time. And talk about freaking accountability. Sorry, because yeah. I wanted us to end on the high note of the, whatever you're about to share, because this is already amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, we all talk about, like, as addicts, we should be accountable. Like, this is accountability in the heavyweight level, bro. Like, we just yeah. have to give you props for that. Like, crazy, awesome, yeah. and amazing. Sorry. I, I'm sorry I, to I, interrupt, because you're crushing it. I think it, it helped. Just, I think it helped. And something that has brought, been brought up a couple times is just, like, how we were approaching it from such a place. I, I mean, we were just so naive about things. And really, as I started into this, I had no idea what it meant. Like when I walked into that office to kind of give my disclosure to legal authorities, like I had no idea what we were looking at. And, you know, and I think that, 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 was, a, that was a grace, just kind of how it worked out because I was just able to be in this place of just total surrender and as the guy from my group said, you know, you're an honest man for the first time in your life. And like just yeah. that feeling has been something that I've held on to and it's kind of carried throughout. Because, I mean, there, there's been a lot of times because mo most of these last three years, it's just been sitting and waiting. And that's been really hard because there's so much uncertainty and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen. And some other advice I got is just like the importance of being present and just living it, you know, not letting it throw off our life, right? Just living, continuing to live one day at a time. And then really just part of what carried me through is like just that knowledge that 
there wasn't and there weren't any there weren't any other secrets like I, I was finally just at this point that it was all on the table and i just moved forward now like it's all yeah. out of my hands and did you feel that 100 percent honest amy was that different for you i'm sure initially it didn't go well um, like initially i'm sure it was extremely oh, painful yeah that was the hardest like i kind of went into shock but I just remember sitting, you know, crying. <laughs> Another one of those in the ball, crying. And while crying, I went to the bathroom and I just, I just cried out to God, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? What do I do? I had no idea what to do. And I just, like, yelled at him, like, what do I do? And he just said, just take a deep breath, go back out. And I remember, um, <laughs> like, sitting on the couch across from John and him asking me why I was staying like I told him I was staying. He's like, what? Why? Why are you staying? And I told him, I said, I've already fought for you so freaking hard. I am not letting you go at this point. And some, and I can like sense the, the, you know, there's women out there like, well, why the heck would you fight for a guy who's betrayed you the way that your husband betrayed you? And it's because I was able to see who he is apart from his addiction. And that is one of the biggest things that I feel like needs to be talked about more. And the biggest, the biggest way that Satan utilizes this addiction is he puts it on, he puts it as a label on the husband. An identity. An identity. The husband is the addict. The husband is the problem. And don't you think that he also puts a label on this, the wife? Yeah. Like you weren't enough. You couldn't meet his needs. You, you know, I felt a lot of shame. You married a porn addict. <laughs> like, put that, put that up on a trophy. It's like, what? And, like, for me, with, like, all the, the example stuff that I dealt with, and, like, I always was the example. I was always the one doing the best, being the best. And now I have this, like, I'm married to a porn addict. Yeah. Like, oh, boy, you I must have messed yeah. up. Yep. And, but I, but what I want, where I want to go with this is that, I have seen so much that Satan makes it about either the husband or the wife being the problem. But that's not what the problem is. The problem is the addiction, and that's a separate entity. That's a separate influence. The pornography is a separate influence. It totally impacts the relationship. It totally impacts his ability to function as an emotionally healthy human being. When he's in his addiction, he can't function as an emotionally healthy being. When I'm um, an emotionally healthy human being. <laughs> Let me say that again. Um, and when I am totally focused on fixing him or fixing a situation, I'm not an emotionally healthy human being. The manager, as you described, yes, the manager. Earlier. When I'm as when I'm the manager, I'm not emotionally healthy, and so it definitely plays a part. But I I would love to see more couples get to the point where it's and like I wish I could like you know there's a whiteboard on a podcast, but you can't do that. But the visual of you know, it's not this, you know, imagine the, the pornography addiction is this big ball, this big black ball, and there's the husband on one side and the wife on the other. Or maybe it's the big black ball, is, and, and, and then they see each other through that big black ball. So it's like, my husband is the big black ball, or my wife is the big black ball. But really, it needs to be the husband and the wife standing together, facing the big black ball, fighting the big black ball. It's us versus pornography, not us versus each other. It's not me versus you. It's us versus this addiction. And that I feel like, I don't even remember when that shift happened for us, but 
as we've gotten, I feel like that's where I felt more connected with him and feel like we're fighting this together. And thankfully, he's willing to do that. And I realize that not every woman is in this situation that I'm blessed to be in where my husband is seeking recovery. But it is possible. And I think when we, when I feel like for me, when I separated the addiction from my husband, I was able to see him for who he really was and recognize that I want to fight for that man. I want to fight for him because I know who he is without the addiction. I've seen it. And that's, that's who I married. Well, and I think the way you have empowered yourself, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because I feel like all the women we have come on, I love it when the wives come on because you can feel and see how empowered they are. You're not any different. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you have those boundaries. So if we yeah. stay in your analogy, if you stood next to the big black ball and reached for his hand and he was just running the other way, mm-hmm. I, I sitting here with you now, I think if he didn't want to be in recovery, I think you would stick to your boundaries and you would get divorced and face that and do what you need to do. And I feel like some women feel trapped in that when they don't have the boundaries. And so I just love yeah. the way you talked about that. Because that, again, we also fit the young naive, right? Married right. at 21 and 23, me and Kayla. And so even when we've spoken before and stuff, people have been like, um, one time we spoke and Kayla heard some women talking after and they were like, oh, she's just naive. And that's why she stayed. And so I can join you guys in like being labeled that, but Mm -hmm. like maybe being naive was part of your story, but you know, I guess, I mean, some way we all are for being honest. Right. But like you found that empowerment and that choice and just the way you described that, I mean, that's just incredible. Well, and I think that was another key for me earlier before we got to that point was I had to realize I had a choice because for me growing up, like, no, divorce wouldn't be an option. I would stay like. Doesn't fit the perfectionist mold. If you get divorced. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Just these messages that like, I don't even think anybody told me outright. It's just what I, it was my belief in the world. But getting to the point where I realized, no, I have a right to choose what I want my relationship with my husband to look like. And um, and, and knowing that God was in that with me, that God was in on me having an amazing marriage, whether that was with John or with somebody else, that he gave, like God supported me having a choice. And that was huge for me because then it was like a choice for me to stay or a choice for me to go. And then it was up to me to have a reason of why. Why did I make that choice? And do I like my reason for staying or do I like my reason for going? But for me, it's always been, you know, and I think it's so helpful for all women to understand you have a choice in every situation, whether it's in it in how you respond to a relapse, whether you stay or whether you go, how you show up, you always have a choice. And making that choice from a centered place with God is the best place to make it from. It's awesome. Um, so tell us, like what haven't we covered, right? Like as far as like keys to your recovery, like big moments, like you've shared some really critical things Mm -hmm. that I think all women be, because you feel like you don't have a choice. I know that was big for Kayla because Kayla's like, I thought I did all the right things. I thought I married this person to find out that choice was totally taken from me. And so I think that's, I mean, so that's a huge one. Like what other big things have been part of your guys' recovery individually together like that have been game changers for you boot camp 
Hashtag wild at heart. Hashtag yeah. warriorheart.com. Hashtag heart of a woman. Yeah. So been to the women's, been, right? Uh, yeah. So we support she both of them. So, so that was a huge one. So tell me, shift it shifts on God in your recovery, right? You kind of talked about how you yeah. view God in your growing up years. Like, what's your relationship with God like now? So I was blessed in right off the my first sponsor in SA gave me wild at heart. And so from the get-go, that's actually been... I feel like from starting recovery, I've been able to kind of realize that it's about more than just not looking at porn. It's about more than just the sex. It's about, I mean, it stems deeper, the wounds, the problems, character defects, it's deeper than that. And then is especially I was able to get into the message of, when I first read Wild at Heart, it just gave me so much permission to open myself up to like my heart and then also to be able to open myself up to reinterpret God and really who he was. And, um, I mean that it, if I, I mean, we, we've talked about a lot of different things of like happened in recovery. I think for me, the, the biggest part of it has been the healing of my relationship with my father, right? With God and coming to understand who he actually is. Your father meaning your father in heaven. Father in heaven, yeah. Guy upstairs, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Amy, how has your relationship shifted with God? Um, I know, I think I know more in my heart now that he loves me. It's not just in my head because I had to work through a lot of betrayal with God because I've, I, I, growing up, like, God was my go-to. He was, I follow his direction to the T. I ask him what I need to do, and I do it. Um, very obedient to my Father in Heaven, which, you know, I don't think is a bad thing. I think it, it definitely um, helped me to form that trust with him. But then when that trust was broken, it's like, hey, you told me to marry John. You told me this was a good idea. What the heck? <laughs> and I kind of had to go guns blazing at God and say, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I did A, B, and C, and you gave me poop. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not the blessing I ordered. What in the world are you doing? And through a lot of, you know, work over years and through really understanding, you know, the idea that, you know, it, early in our marriage, even before I knew about his addiction, I'd put John in my center. I'd put him as the center of my life. And God kind of fell to the wayside a little bit. And I feel like this was... You know, through John's actions, God was able to work to my good and to help me reconnect with him and help me to understand that I could be mad at him and he would still love me. Like being mad at God, like you can't be mad at God, but I was mad at God. And (laughs) yeah, yeah. And that being able to own my emotions with my father in heaven, that like all my emotions, the anger, the frustration, the sadness, the devastation, all of that, I could go to God in that. I didn't have to come to him with all my boxes checked, all prim and proper. Like I could go to him a bawling mess on the floor and he would sit there with me. It wasn't up in heaven, like giving me a pat on the back, like, hey, when you feel better, like, no, he was with me in that moment, feeling it with me. And, that I feel like is really what compassion is. That compassion, it literally means to suffer with. And having that understanding of the compassion of my Father in heaven and of my Savior Jesus Christ, they are willing to suffer with me and sit there with me when I'm hurting so bad, when I don't know what to do. 
and just be there and just let me be there too. That is what love is, to be able to give somebody the space to be where they're at, to sit with them, to not need to fix it, and receiving that kind of love from God. Um, you know, has come through various experiences that are really dear to my heart. And also, you know, they came through really hard moments where I really had to get honest with myself and I really had to get honest with God. Yeah. So um, the last question I'll ask you and I ask everyone is, um, what would you tell that couple or individual who's maybe been in recovery, been honest, they've done some of the things, they've been to some 12-step meetings, they've been to therapy, and and they're where you were at at 2016, right? I mean, 2016, you were two freaking years into this thing, right? And of doing stuff and going to meetings. And so for that couple who goes, yeah, that's great, their story, but I also know the story where they got divorced, the dude ended up just acting out forever, and then you know, she was a single mom and life was just tough. Right. And whatever, you know, they, they see those stories too. Right. And so if we had that couple or that individual here who was really struggling, believing that any of this is true for them, what would you tell them, John? That I know they probably wouldn't believe it when I first say it, but that God is with them in it. And you know what Amy said, I would just echo for myself just now, just realizing God is with me in it. Um, you know, one of my favorite books that I've come across in recovery is The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brandon Manning. And just his thoughts on, you know, as he talks about the parable of the, prod- the, parable of the prodigal son and the woman taken in, in adultery, you look at the motivation of the two of them, and they weren't coming, they weren't brought back to the Father or to Christ because of good motivations. I mean, they were dragged, kicking and screaming, or they, I mean, prodigal, he was going to die, he had to go back. And motivation wasn't there, right? But God was still willing to be there and meet them. And I think I just always had that expectation that I had to fix myself first and then go, and I couldn't believe that God would actually be with me. I always had that idea of like, okay, you know, that somehow darkness can overcome light, right? That, you know, that the addiction will automatically, I guess, really in a sense, be stronger than the spirit and push it away, right? That, you know, you can't feel the spirit in a bar or something, just kind of that idea that I grew up with, right? That somehow I could open a door into a dark room and the darkness would come into the light rather than the opposite, which is the case. And then as I have walked, I mean, because my, my journey has been up and down. Sobriety is, I mean, to this day, it's still like something that I have to work on and it's still hard and I have ups and downs and but then really a big part of it is realizing that God is with me in the moment, that I can act out and I don't have to be, I don't have to put myself in shame for three days, like self-flagellating because, I mean, really that's me still acting in shame and saying that God can't be with me. I'm, I'm saying what God can and can't do. And then realizing that, no, God can be with me in that moment. Like I act out and it's like, hey, I can turn to God, come back and feel... Uh, I don't know, and like as I, I hesitate in saying that because right, it's it's this social idea of there needs to be some kind of time or process, 
but really just what I've learned through my journey is God is always there. And as soon as you turn to look, I mean, regardless of how it turns out, regardless of what it looks like for you, like, He's there. You might not be able to see it. You might not believe me. You might not be able to feel that. But it doesn't change it. He's He's still right there with you. And looking back on it, you'll be able to see that, you know. And stories do end up differently. Like, my, my parents, I really wish that that would have worked out. It, it didn't, you know. This is one of the stories where... Help didn't happen. They didn't make those choices to find recovery. And, you know, Amy and I are, are doing that now. Some people do, some people don't. But I know that God loves all of us regardless. Totally. So, so as you know, when, when we end, we always end with the song. We're big music people. So if you guys could pick a song to tie to your story, because that's how we're going to close this thing. Oh, they already knew. Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> yeah. I was just checking for verification. Of <laughs> like, as I was talking, they were ignoring me, and they looked at each other and gave, like, the nod, you know? So, yeah. okay, what is it? Well, I was going to say, music has been huge for us, and there's been yeah. a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, but, but you only I get one say, right yeah, now. Yeah, only get yeah. one, and I'd say the recent one. Yeah, it's Rescue by Lauren Daigle. Yeah. Because ultimately, God is the one that does the rescuing. Yeah. And he is there. He will, you know, like she says, climb every mountain to find you. Like mm-hmm. he will yeah. he will seek you out. He will find you and he will rescue you. And for me, that journey has been letting him. Yeah. Letting him rescue me. Stop trying to do it by myself. For me or for John. Don't rescue myself, don't rescue my husband, but turn to God and let him rescue me and let him guide my path. He's not just waiting for us to come to him. He's actively pursuing and out there to find us. Amen to that. John, Amy, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Incredible story. And with that, we'll turn it over to Lauren Daigle. You are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. You have been broken, your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army Find you in the middle of the darkest night It's true, I will rescue you There is no distance That cannot be covered over and over You're not defenseless I'll be a shelter I'll be your armor I hear you whisper underneath your breath I hear your SOS, your SOS I will send out an army to find you in the middle
hear you.